thank you very much, uh, Charlene. <coughs> you know, I, uh, I like to come to preach in America because if you want a decent introduction, you come to America. I, uh, I remember a dear friend of mine, <coughs> mentor of mine, uh, John Wilson, he used to say this after a very extravagant introduction like uh, Charlene just did. And he would say, um, so may I, Charlene, I forgive you <laughs> for your extravagance in introducing me. And then he would add, and please, Lord, forgive me for enjoying it. <coughs> Pentecost Sunday, hallelujah. It's wonderful being here. And uh, I'd like to greet you in the way in which I was taught many years ago to greet you. It's peace be with you. We've done it. Let's do it again. But because it's Pentecost Sunday, I want to ask you to respond in this way. The first response will be hallelujah. Is that okay? And we all can say hallelujah, right? It's the one word that means everything together. Praise God, glory to God. But after that, I would like you to then say praise God in your mother tongue. Holy chaos. You know, I suspect that if Presbyterians were on Pentecost that day, they would have been very confused. <laughs> because these, these Presbyterians are so orderly, so organized. <laughs> Everything is in order. So we're going to practice some holy chaos. So is that okay? So we will say, I will say, peace be with you. And then the first response is hallelujah. And then the next will be in your mother tongue. Mine will be I don't know what yours will be. Okay, so let's practice. Peace be with you. Hallelujah. Did you get it? Right? Okay, so when you say hallelujah, and you're saying it in your mother tongue, you'll then lift up your hands. The Bible says lifting up holy hands to the Lord. Is that all right? All right, let's see. Now, these Presbyterians, <laughs> just know that uh, you might have to start learning how to raise your hands, uh, how to shout, you know. Okay, is that all right? Let's go. Peace be with you. Hallelujah. Imanishimge. Can we hear your language loudly, please? Let's go loudly. Peace be with you. Hallelujah. Imanishimwe. It's not complete until the third time. Peace be with you. Hallelujah. Ima Amen. Hallelujah. What a joy to reconnect with First Press. It truly is a fellowship, a community that have been part of us, Theodora and I, uh, for many, many, many years, and two decades and counting. Hallelujah. I, uh, talking about introduction, my wife would have been happy, or rather I would have been happy for my wife to hear how I'm introduced. <laughs> you know how important I am? <laughs> how I'm on the internet? <laughs> anyway, but really a joy to be here together with you. Thank you, Charlene, again for you and your team for inviting me to participate with you uh, in this service. I have been assigned to introduce the series, as you have been told. The series title is Be the Church, Being, Becoming, Beholding, based on Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. As we come into this place, this season, I hope that our assumptions will be challenged, 
our hopes and our dreams will be reshaped, and who we are and where we are, hopefully there will be a moment for relocation, renunciation. This is an adventure into a powerful story. I come to you, as I'm sure you recognize, as a fellow human being. Together we share as part of the one human family. Amen. I hope, though, that you also recognize in me your brother in Christ. I don't make the assumption. In a sense, I am one with you, one of you, certainly, as a human being, one with you, one of you as a brother in Christ, as one who belongs to the family that is ours. However, I also acknowledge before you that I'm a visitor. I come into your history, into your space, into your geography, your church community, your city, your state, your country, your culture. I am a visitor. I acknowledge that. But I hope you also realize, therefore, that as a visitor to you, I come to you as a gift, but I may also come to you as a challenge, like all visitors do. Have you ever hosted somebody who is a real stranger, their first time to come into your country? I will never forget my first time preaching in a church here. It was during winter. And how can I give this illustration here in California? It doesn't make sense. But let me try. So you know those things you put on to cover you from winter? I came with them. They are rubber shoes. And I was all, it really felt awkward and funny. And I walked to the pulpit with the rubber shoes. I forgot to remove them. So I may make you uncomfortable. But please remember, I am only a visitor. It is therefore your opportunity to offer hospitality. It is also a challenge for you to be disrupted. So I may make you uneasy, right? Right? Because you see, I bring to you my history. I bring to you my geography. I bring to you my perspective. So may I please request, let's compare notes together. So, the lens through which we want to do this is this amazing passage as we begin the study of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And I'm going to invite my dear friend, Joshua Daniel. Let's welcome Joshua, my fellow preacher, he, as he takes the reading for us. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. 
He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with his seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Awesome. Let's appreciate Joshua. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. Did you hear how he did it? My goodness. All those big words, you know, predestined and so on. So thank you very much, Joshua. Uh, what a joy. Now, this passage, I'm sure it's not your first time to hear it read. Is it okay if you're able to keep projecting it uh, on the screen? Because we may want it to engage together. And uh, is this a new passage to you? You've listened to somebody preach on it. Please put up your hand if you have. I like to interact, you know. I'm that kind of guy. You know, I'm not very organized. So when I say please put up your hand, please, please, let's cooperate, all right? Uh, is this your first time to hear it? Is this your first time to hear someone? So I ask, with what lenses shall we read? Shall we make sense of what this passage is about? With what lenses do we read Ephesians? What lenses? How do we read? How do we read? Let me say this. We take for granted that what we read is as is. Is as is. In fact, we want to even argue that what we read is the truth. But wait a moment. We need to acknowledge how our social locations, our histories and geographies shape the, make, the meaning we make of anything we encounter. So, let me first of all say, from my vantage point, Ephesians chapter 1 wasn't always a passage I wanted to read. Why? Because it is laden with so much history. About a month ago, I was in a church, and as you possibly know, the verse 3 to 14 in the original language is actually one sentence. I mean, it's one sentence. I think the translators uh, into the English and other languages couldn't cope, so they broke it into pieces. <laughs> and that also means, therefore, we lost something in the translation, okay? 
We lost something. Because as soon as you begin to put commas and full stops and, no, periods, not full stops, periods, you know, you are really doing some damage to the text, but that's okay. So here is my problem. Because I grew up in, uh, uh, especially in high school and university, I was introduced to these big words, election, predestination, trinity, all right? What are the other ones? Um, you know those big theological words, right? So I read Ephesians 1, and these words hit me. And to be very honest, I don't get them. Predestination, election, trinity. Somebody the other day asked me, do you believe in the trinity? I said, to be honest, I don't even know what that really means. What is the trinity? Okay, okay guys, I did some theology, right? So please, don't misunderstand. I did some theology. I have a degree in systematic theology. I have the UNAPI, but I don't know. I Trinity. So I decided, as I read Ephesians, can I remove this doctrinal lens, systematic theology lens, and try and engage with this text? Is that okay? So don't worry. If you don't understand predestination, election, Trinity, you are just like me. Let's get into it. Right? The evangelical doctrines. Okay, let me tell you another one, especially having come into Americas and this context. As I read the commentaries and so on, the, thing, the other thing that amazed me is that in reading this text, very often the way to read it is using the linear model of history. The past, the present, and the future. So we have come from, we are here, we are moving to some place, out of which came the doctrine of progress, human progress, and on and on. If you think the world is only can be understood from the linear model, maybe you miss something. Let me suggest that this particular text is not primarily about election, predestination, trinity, linear history, maybe it's something much more significant for us. What other lenses must we kind of try to deal with that we've inherited, that cloud that create barriers for us to understand this passage? There could be more that I could say. Coming from my background, I too have barriers in coming to this passage. But the lens that the team has recommended to us to look into this passage is in our theme, why we are because of God. I actually have amended it, Shalin, and this is what I suggest, that they are both questions. Why we are because of God? I don't want us to assume, friends, that because we gather here and we are called a church, therefore we are here in Christ's name. I don't want us to assume that because we have identified, we carry certain labels, wow, if by the numbers of churches, by those who self-identify, let me tell you, in Kampala, I led... I was at the cathedral in All Saints for about eight years, literally within a radius of two kilometers. I could count 
about 20 churches, literally. All of them gathered in Jesus' name. But surprise, surprise, for all of us gathering on Sundays in Jesus' name, if a stranger walked into Kampala on a Sunday morning and saw these streams of people, they would say, wow. But on Monday to Saturday, where are they? What's the encounter of Kampala? What's the encounter of the public administration of Kampala? Surprise, surprise. It's a very corrupt city. It's a very, very disorganized city. The medical services don't work. So, so all these people, Monday to Saturday, where have they gone? So the evidence that we belong to Christ is not that we gather. The evidence that we belong to Christ is not the churches we say we belong to. Ephesians is going to challenge us to ask the question, why we are, if we are. Simon Sinek has given us a structure that I really like. You know Simon Sinek, uh, start with why, any of you? Gurus, Simon Sinek. I like him actually, uh, for this. Don't ask me anymore, please. But I like what he put. The structure, you know it? Why, how, and what. I like it. So why we are, how we are, and what we are. The other way to think of it as an African is the stories that we embody. The story that was handed to us the story that becomes the basis of our imagination of the hope for the future. Stories, stories, stories. It seems to me there are three stories in Ephesians that are critical in order for us to make sense of why we are, how we are, and what we are. The first is the story of Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, verse 1. To God's holy people, second story, in Ephesus. God's holy people in Ephesus. We call them the Ephesians. And then thirdly, there is the story of us who read, right? Three stories. Paul's story, the Ephesians' story, and our story. And you know what? As we engage with this passage, there is a way in which those three stories interact. We don't, of course, have time to go through each one of these. But we are introduced to Paul, and you will have read about Paul. Hmm. How do we make sense of Paul? My goodness. Can I make a confession? There was a time I had so much difficulty with Paul, I took a break from the epistles. Because I was thinking, Paul, my goodness, the things that were emphasized in the church in which I was, was don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they said, this is what the apostle Paul says. Then, of course, you read Romans, justify, justification by faith, sanctification, what are the other big things that we say Paul has said, <laughs> that our churches have formed into doctrines. So I'm being honest, for a while I didn't want to read Paul because I'm like, really? So I decided, let me read the Old Testament, let me read the Gospels, let me stop there because Paul I don't know what to do with you. 
If you have problems with parts of scripture, it's okay, take a break. It's absolutely fine, take a break. By the way, if you agree with everything the scriptures say, then you have a real problem. So not that the Bible has a problem, is that you and I have a problem. In fact, I've always argued that the Bible itself has become a problem for us, but that's for another time. Let's not discuss Paul because we don't have the time. The point I'm really making, let's not make assumptions about Paul. So I hope as we engage with Ephesians, we get into Paul's story because he actually does. Now, of course, to be able to get a sense of his connection with Ephesians, we would have to look into the Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 19 and chapter 20 are very important background to this. But of course we must go back to chapter 9. But of course we must go to the story that Paul is a Pharisee. Of course we must go back to Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul is not just one issue, one person. He's as complex as all of us are. So, I hope that as we enter this Ephesians, we are really going to grapple with who Paul is, his story. Because Paul's story is in Ephesians. And then you have the story of the Ephesians themselves. Why they are, how they are, what they are. Again, as you engage with Ephesians, I hope that you will. Paul introduces and says, God's holy people in Ephesus. God's holy people in Ephesus. Saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, scholarship around Ephesians, and I think I'm more oriented towards that direction, that this is not actually a letter addressed specifically to the church in Ephesus. And you can read the scholarship, I'm sure you can, uh, because you are capable to do that. The reason I think that this is the case, and I agree with the scholarship, is because Paul was a person who knew F the Ephesians very well. You remember how many years did he spend there preaching? How many years? Three? Three years? And so you would have expected, maybe like Philippians, he would be very personal. He would tell stories of the different people and, you know, the young man that is sent there to do the pastoral ministry. But there is still something very powerful about Ephesus and the idea of the Ephesians that is crucial. To understand the Ephesians, you then have to go to two specific passages in this book that help us get a glimpse of who they are. Verse 13 and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation. The language here is included, which therefore introduces us to the theme of exclusion that is very, very clear in chapter 2, verse 11. Remember that formerly you are Gentiles who, were, who are Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, which is done by the human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizen, excluded, excluded from the citizenship, foreigners, foreigners, aliens, the 
NIV says separated, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God. The New Revised Standard Version says without, without. In other words, you're not within, you're without. You are aliens, you are strangers, you are no hope, hopeless, without God. This is a letter, it seems to me, addressed to those who were excluded. Who were non-believers. Non-Jew. Non, 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 non. You know those nuns in our society? They are none, right? They are non-Christian, right? They are non-believers, right? They are none, none. This letter is for the nuns. Settle with that. Because that's important. And as we think about first press, we want to ask, is it possible that first press is only for those who are in? And what do they look like? Where are the nuns? You know the people we call nun? The other? Okay, just check your neighbor who you are with. Just be honest. Don't they look like you? <laughs> you know, they are more be your relative, your... I know we sit together from families. Next time, let's change it. You don't have to sit with your husband or wife, please. Sit with somebody else. You live together, you stay in the same house. Why must you sit together in church? Please, just change it. Just change it. Sit with other people, you know? Right? I mean, let's be serious. Do you notice that it is not just that we gather, but it's who we gather with? We'll come back to that. So, Ephesians, to get a grasp of who they are, you've got to deal with this idea of the others. But there's something else about Ephesians that is very, very crucial. It's the timing. Ephesus, of course, again is typical. This is a kind of a typical. Ephesus is possibly the third largest Roman city at the time. In other words, it's cosmopolitan. Really, it's more like Berkeley. Everybody is there. And everything happens, right? Right? Ephesus is also known as the center of this great tradition, a great worship. In fact, there is a temple to the God of Ephesus that is prominent, is become one of the wonders of the world. I don't know what the big temple of Berkeley would be. Uh, I don't know. Big, you know? What is Berkeley known for, right? But the important thing about Ephesus is the domination of the Roman Empire. 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 Dominance. Violence. It's possible that the time when Paul is writing this, it's at the time of Emperor Nero. We also actually know that Paul is writing this from prison. So suffering is there. Domination is there. Violence is there. The Ephesians know about it. So when Paul speaks about othering, the other, that are not included, it's real. 
So let's go to what he says to them now. Doxology. We don't have too much time, but we'll get there. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Praise be to God, our Father, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Verse 4, for he chose us. Please keep going. Can you put that passage up and see? Can you count for me how many times he says us? He says we. We, us, and our. Can you count them? How many have you seen so far? How many? Yes, how many? Two? Okay, keep counting. Keep counting. Everywhere you see we, us, and our. Of course I did the hard work <laughs> because I was coming to preach. I counted 12. Us, our. Us, our and we. Let me tell you the difficulty you and I have in reading this and engaging with Ephesians, and especially you, blessed Americans. The philosophy, the worldview that shapes us, and anybody who has engendered, learned through Western education, is individualism. It's not us, we, or our. It is me, myself, and I. And when we read the Bible and Paul says you, we think it is me. Right? Let me be honest with you. I can hardly sing songs in churches here and even in Uganda. Because most of the songs are, I love you, Lord. Can you imagine? We are, we are gathered together. And we sing, I love. We don't even know how to sing together. In fact, we could even hold hands, right? Will you try? It's okay. You'll be okay. Hold hands. And then as you hold hands, you sing, I love you. What a contradiction. <laughs> Excuse me. Even if we stopped there. Do you see what is really wrong with us? We don't know how to say our, we. But he's especially asking the question, who is included in the we? The way the we, the our, is included, remember? Without God, without, without, this is the group. But now Paul says, you are part of we, we. Those that were othered, without, they are now within, hallelujah. Those that were excluded are now included. How? The genius is this, it is in Christ, in Christ. God, by the Holy Spirit, in Christ, in God, in the Holy Spirit. Count again. Can you count how many times the word in Christ, in Christ, in the beloved, in love? Have you seen it? In, 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 in where? 
in Christ. Now, let's go back to this passage. Paul says, hey, you who were excluded by your cultures, you who were told to be uncircumcised, you, you, let me tell you the truth from verse 3 onwards. You were included from the foundation of the world even before you were included. Hallelujah. So this is not a predestination or an election. No, 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 no. This is to say God in his imagination of who we are, God included all. Where? In Christ. Therefore, we have no right to exclude any. Let me tell you why we churches in America must weep every Sunday. Is because, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning at 11. African American, white American, American, whatever. This, you know, what a mess. How ugly. Jesus says we were included, all of us. In other words, what picture should we see? Now I know you gave an excellent intro and you said everybody's included. But Charlene, I look here. I'll be blunt with you. What do I see? It's not the picture you described in your introduction. No. I wonder if the real homeless people could call this their church. I don't know what this church would look like. Maybe we are too organized for them. Maybe they are right, they should never come here because this can't be their home. Who are the other? Who are the others? In Christ. In Christ. Why? Because the story that includes us is the story of God's love. What does it say? In love. Hey, God's love, God who is love, it's vast, it's amazing, it's beyond our comprehension. You will read about it in chapter 3. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth, beyond our comprehension. That's the mystery in which we are all included. So what a shame on us. What went wrong with us? What went wrong with me, with you, with us? That when people look in, my goodness, what do they see? They see a particular class. Let's be frank. When people look in, what do they see? Now I must conclude. And this is how I would like to conclude. Let me ask you as a family, or even as a person, when you say us, who is included? By that I mean very bluntly, who are your friends? Who do you hang out with? 
Hello? Did you check me? When you hang out, who do you hang out with? Okay, who are your buddies? Can I ask the question differently? And I'm very serious. For if you conclude, this is serious, if you conclude that people in your company and fellowship simply are your same class, they live in the same neighborhood, <laughs> you know what I mean? They go to the same pubs. Hey, maybe you can honestly say this is not a relationship in Christ. It's a relationship like more like a club. You know clubs, eh? They have the same people. <laughs> Uh, I have a, a uniform uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, Carl. I think it's the, what's the group? The, the plays, the people who play. Philip, that shirt of mine. Bears? No, Carl Bears. Bears, yes, I have that shirt. <laughs> so yesterday I walked into a church and uh, somebody recognized I was putting on Carl Bears and says, Bears, we go. And then uh, Philip accused me and said that I also have a shirt for Stanford. Right. <laughs> And the person was very clear. She told me, can you go and burn that shirt? <laughs> you know clubs? They hang out because they look alike. Same uniform. My question is, who do you hang out with? Let's also ask the question. You know, the power of this passage is this. The Ephesians are said to be in Christ in Ephesus. Physical location, geography, history. But the more defining feature is in Christ. What's your address? All right. What's your address? If I say Kampala, my address is 36 Kimera Road, Ntinda. 36 Kimera Road. What's my address? Paul says, your real address ought to be the place of your habitation in Christ. So let's ask the same question. If anybody asks you, what's your address? Of course you can say physical address. What's yours? What's yours? But Paul here says, here is an address we have in Christ. It is in Christ. So the question is asked, where do you live? I live on this road. But more importantly, I live in Christ. Is that where you live? Is that your address? Please check your neighbor. Ask them, what's your address? I hope they can give you two addresses. The physical one here on earth, and the real one also here on earth. This in Christ is not in the heavenlies, it's right here. So here on earth, where do we live? What's the evidence? It's the people you hang out with. It's what this church looks like. Let us pray. Have mercy, we pray. Have mercy, we pray. Have mercy, we pray. Amen.